You're listening to The Zeitgeist, a podcast focused on Germany, the United States, and the transatlantic relationship. Join us as we discuss economics, politics, security, and more. I'm Jeff Rafke, president of the American Institute for Contemporary German Studies at Johns Hopkins University. I want to welcome everybody to this uh, episode of The Zeitgeist. We have a, a returning guest uh, with us today, uh, Julian Müller-Kaller. Uh, who is, uh, among other things, a, a non-resident fellow at the Atlantic Council uh, and is back in Germany. If, you, if I understand that correctly, Julian, you're joining us from, uh, from, from Bavaria, if I have that Across right? Across the pond, yes. <laughs> okay, terrific. And, uh, and with us, whenever we talk about German uh, politics, is uh, Eric Langenbacher, the uh, director of our Society, Culture, and Politics program here at AICGS and AICGS senior fellow. So, you know, maybe a headline for uh, today could be the mainstream strikes back. Um, I don't know. Uh, but uh, if we look at German uh, political dynamics, uh, one thing that uh, we really notice is that there has been some initiative in the last couple of weeks from the Social Democratic Party, a party that's been embattled uh, for quite some time and has, has been uh, watching its popularity drop um, uh, consistently over recent elections. The last election in 2017, they won 20.5% of the vote. Uh, but just in the last couple of weeks, we've had uh, two major bits of news uh, from the Social Democrats. The first was uh, the announcement by one of the co-chairmen of the party uh, that, that they would uh, look for and, and be willing to participate in a so-called left-wing uh, coalition after the 2021 elections. And that would mean, in German uh, context, a coalition with the Greens, traditional partner uh, of the Social Democrats, but also uh, the, the left party, or Die Linke, which are the heirs to the, uh, the East German um, Socialist Unity Party, um, and uh, a party that has never been in a national coalition uh, in Germany. So uh, that was the first uh, bit of news. And then the second bit of news was that the Social Democrats chose their candidate for the chancellorship in 2020. Uh, that is uh, a bit early because the election is not going to happen for another 13 or 14 months. But the Social Democrats decided that Olaf Scholz, vice chancellor and finance minister right now, will be their standard bearer. Now, that is uh, interesting for a couple of reasons. First, um, he is among the most centrist of the uh, Social Democratic Party uh, leadership. He sought but failed to win the party leadership uh, last year, uh, losing out to Norbert Walter-Borjans and Saskia Esken. Uh, and so at the same time that the Social Democrats are shifting to the left uh, in, in terms of their desired coalition, uh, they've picked an ultra-centrist as their candidate. So uh, let's try to pull those threads apart a little bit and understand what's, uh, what's going on uh, here. Uh, Eric, maybe we'll start with you. How do you, how do you see this uh, development? I mean, I think that it's actually a really bold and potentially brilliant move on the part of the Social Democrats. It's a way to try to have it both ways, right? So you have a more progressive left-wing leadership but then you have a more presentable, um, moderate, centrist chancellor candidate, which is what Germans um, seem to want. If you look at the public opinion polls, it's really interesting. I mean, Olaf Scholz is very highly regarded and has been for quite some time in uh, German politics, whereas the, the SPD leaders are at the bottom. Like, they're actually not a lot more popular than even the AFD leaders. But 
there's a good part of the Social Democratic Party that chose them and is happy with them. So I don't know. I think that it's a strategy that could work out really well. And it maybe is one that other parties um, will emulate. But we can talk about that uh, a little later. Um, Julian, yeah. what do you think? Well, I think it, it, it is perfect summed up on the headline that Jeff used to introduce the session. And thank you so much for having me again. Um, it is really somewhat the revival of the establishment. Um, back when we spoke about um, German politics the last time, um, we kind of talked about the rise of populism and the frustration that the populace uh, had with the, the current political establishment and that there was a certain desire for change. Now a pandemic later and uh, since the world is in complete disarray, uh, I think a lot of people actually came to appreciate uh, political expertise, a functioning bureaucracy. Uh, and if you look at the approval ratings of the German government handling the current pandemic, it is extremely high. Um, so it would make sense to have people who are in um, responsible positions, such as Olaf Scholz being the finance minister and really somewhat the right hand of uh, the Merkel government in orchestrating all of the um, fiscal stimulus and, and programs that were used in order to soften the effects of um, COVID-19, to have him as the front uh, figure um, leading the party into the upcoming election. Um, it is, however, also, I would say, a, a somewhat um, dangerous gambit in a way, because when you look at the past, uh, every time the Social Democratic Party has tried to match a rather progressive platform with a rather moderate candidate, uh, they utterly failed, and the party only knew one trend, uh, which was downwards. So it's going to be interesting to see whether the new environment is a game changer in that regard. If I could just add, Go ahead, Eric. Sorry, I was just going to add one thing, which is that, you know, I mean, Jeff, you talked before about how dismal the SPD has done in the polls down well below where they were at at the 2017 Bundestag election with the Greens for years now out polling them by, you know, two, three, four percent. But uh, I was just looking at some uh, of the most recent polls, and the SPD has actually inched up a little bit. And you know, for the first time in as long as I can remember, they're actually doing better than the Greens. So I don't know. I mean, it, it seems that the strategy might already be paying off, and they're starting to see a little bit of a bump in the polls. Uh, you know, I think it's good. Let's turn to the numbers uh, here. Uh, you know, uh, one of the Social Democrats leaders, uh, Rolf Mützenich, the leader of the Bundestag uh, caucus of the Social Democrats, he said, you know, it's not the time to do the arithmetic. But I think it's worth looking at the arithmetic just to see kind of where we're starting from. What's our benchmark? Um, the if you if you look at the polls, Eric, you're absolutely right that the Social Democratic Party now in at least two out of the three most recent polls is ahead of the Greens. And it's the first time that has happened uh, in about two years. The last time that the, the SPD was above the Greens consistently was September 2018. Now, um, and so now they're ahead by a couple of points. So let's, so we don't want to um, uh, exaggerate it, but still 18% uh, as opposed to the Greens 16% in, in some polls. Now, when you add this up, you take the SPD, the Greens, and the left party together. In the best case scenario right now, they've got 42% of the, of the vote. Now, you can form a government with a little bit less than 50% of the, uh, of the votes uh, because some of them fall away, parties that don't enter the parliament and so forth, but still 42% is, is not enough to form a government. So there needs to, they need to gain um, in the aggregate uh, and not just steal some votes from each other. 
So that's the big question is, does, is this dynamic process uh, that you mentioned, Eric, um, by showing that the SPD has options and has the ambition and the perhaps the capacity to lead a government, is that going to attract uh, voters from uh, whether it's the Christian Democrats or the FDP um, or, or even from other places? So, so that, I think, that, that numbers question and how much of that gap uh, the, these three parties together could, uh, could regain is one crucial question. The other crucial question, uh, and uh, we can come to this maybe in more detail in a little bit, but is the politics of it. Because, uh, you know, just because the Social Democrats announced they want to be in a government with the left and the Greens doesn't mean that the Greens and the left want to be in a government with them. Now, the left doesn't have too many other options, um, but the Greens, <clears throat> who have been riding high for a couple of years and, and feeling quite confident, they have, perhaps understandably, uh, been uh, quite, uh, quite cool and non-committal in their response to this. So let's talk a little bit about the numbers and how that interacts with the politics. Um, uh, Eric. Well, I mean, this is why I'm all of a sudden very excited about German politics and for the next kind of election. I mean, to talk just about the SPD for a second, this is the first time in, I think, years you know, Julian might disagree with me, but from my perspective, this is the first time in years that they're actually taking some risks, that they're actually thinking strategically, and that they're actually being proactive about stuff, right? So it was a really bold move to announce now, in the middle of summer, you know, who their chancellor candidate is going to be in 14 months. And it's forcing the other parties to respond to them instead of the SPD always responding to initiatives and whatnot from other parties. But, you know, what's also interesting, um, I, I think it's possible for the SPD and the other leftist parties to grow their support a little bit. It's all going to depend on, well, not all, but so much will depend on who the CDU eventually chooses as their leader, right? There seems to be this kind of trend, at least um, uh, amongst many people on the right, uh, thinking that Merkel erred in social democratizing the CDU, moving too far to the left, too far to the center, and it's time to move back to the right. You know, if you look at what Friedrich Merz is doing and some of his supporters in Eastern Germany and elsewhere, like they really are moving to the right. And if that's the case, and especially if Merz gets the, the, the leadership, I mean, you know, he's an old kind of like neoliberal um, BlackRock running kind of uh, uh, fiscal conservative. If he starts to say, oh, oh, we got to get back to the, you know, the black zero and, and, and check our finances, um, when the economy is still struggling because of the um, pandemic, then I think that people might be running to the SPD if they say, no, you know, we understand that we need a robust welfare state, we need actual more spending. Didn't Schultz just announce another $10 billion to kind of extend um, uh, certain economic protections up to 24 months because of the pandemic? So I don't know. I mean, if the CDO goes too far to the right, especially the kind of, you know, neoliberal, let's get the finances in order, um, right? Then I think that the SPD really could pick up 5%. And, you know, we'll see what happens with the other kind of leftist parties. But, you know, it's, it's finally really interesting. It's finally going to be a competition, I think. So with regards to the numbers, I think there are two things that I would like to mention. First, um, I don't think that too much, too much attention should be paid to the current polling. Um, I don't know whether you two remember the situation when Martin Schulz announced his um, you know, candidacy for the chancery. They almost scored as high as the Conservative Party and the downfall or the, the subsequent downfall was even 
um, more stark than um, you know even they had imagined in their wildest dreams. So I think a lot of the current polling and the bump that the social democrats see is due to the increased attention that they have gained um, with press coverage covering the announcement that Schultz will be um, leading the party into the to the upcoming elections. However, the second the second thing that I would like to mention is really that they are some game changers. One is that. Um, Eric already alluded to, which is that Angela Merkel won't be running for re-election. Um, after 15 years of um, you know, being the mother of German politics, she will exit uh, the scene, which uh, absolutely is a complete game changer for German politics. She is one of the most admired politicians. Um, yes, she has taken a hit during the migration crisis. However, her crisis response when it came to the coronavirus really bumped up her approval ratings again. And her leaving the scene is not only um, setting up a fight uh, after her success, and, but you know, we talked about it the last time, rather the soul of the Conservative Party, uh, given the trends that Eric alluded to in terms of whether it's going to be Laschet, Merz, or even Markus Söder, the head of the CSU fraction in the party, who is also polling very high at the moment and might consider uh, trying his, his chances or his luck in Berlin and uh, moving away from, uh, from Bavaria. Well, we can talk a, lot, a little bit about that uh, as well later. The, the, the one last thing that I would like to mention also is that I think we are currently also in a situation where a lot of Germans actually came to appreciate um, social democracy in its sense of having government protection and regulations um, that are in place to soften uh, some of the worst economic effects. Um, you know, a, a view across the pond um, to where the two of you are, are sitting at the moment uh, is a daily reminder of uh, what an economy um, is facing if there are no protections for workers uh, and other regulations. So uh, a lot of the instruments that Schultz is using in his government response to the coronavirus really are some of the core elements of social democracy. It is something like Kurzarbeitergeld, where you know companies who are in economic trouble um, due to circumstances that they are um, not have seen coming can apply for government funding of their workers instead of them laying them off immediately. You also see a huge government investment um, and certain regulations that are just keeping the economy going despite the, the, the magnitude of the disruption. So with Merkel leaving and somewhat seeing a revival of social democratic tools, the SPD, given the circumstances, could actually be better positioned uh, this time around than in previous elections, given how the current state of affairs is playing out. So let me, uh, you know, let me pick up on one thing you said, Julian, which uh, I think is really a crucial factor here. And that is, this will be the first German election since the first one in the Federal Republic in 1949, where you don't have an incumbent running for re-election as chancellor. Um, so that makes this a, a, a unique um, uh, sort of unprecedented election uh, because Merkel, you know, announced two, two years in advance that she would not be a candidate. Um, and although there are still, you know, some people here and there who like to toy with the idea that she might change her mind, I don't think there's any indication or any reason to believe she would. So, uh, so, you, so you do have this, this creates a more level playing field for the candidates and politics is always, especially in a national election like this, it is uh, to a large degree, it's a, ch it's a choice of, you know, this candidate 
compared to the others. Um, so, uh, so while Merkel remains personally uh, extremely popular, 71% support uh, by, according to the most recent uh, poll done by Deutschlandtrend for ARD, and her government, 64% of people uh, are, are satisfied with the work of the federal government, which is an all-time high, at least for the, the length of time that I could get the scale to fit on my laptop screen. So, um, uh, but, you know, Merkel has taken herself out of the equation. And, and then when you start to look at the, um, uh, the way uh, Olaf Scholz is viewed, he's 57% uh, uh, popularity, uh, well above uh, uh, all of his potential competitors. Wow. So um, maybe now we kind of, uh, we, can, we can move um, in the direction of, of what this means um, with the uh, coalition party and the, uh, and the, the, the opponent. Um, if you look at uh, the race for the CDU leadership, that will be decided in December. It has been a bit dormant for the last couple of months because national focus has been on the coronavirus uh, uh, response. Um, it's been sort of a, um, a battle, uh, you know, a subterranean battle uh, for attention and for, uh, to, to demonstrate leadership and effectiveness between Marcus Zuder and Armin Laschet. Um, uh, but I think in the next couple of months, we're going to see this battle heat up again between Laschet and Merz. Um, and uh, Norbert Rutgen as a uh, as a uh, third uh, dark horse candidate, um, but then the CDU and the CSU have a difficult choice: who's going to be their chancellor candidate? Which a choice will have to be made somewhere after that. Uh, Zudar is much more uh, uh, popular when that question is posed. Um, he has forty one percent support compared to sixteen percent. Uh, if you ask voters about Armin Laschet as chancellor candidate, um, but that's going to be a grueling decision for the CDU and CSU to reach. Um, uh, so um, do you, do you, how do you see that developing in the next couple of months? And uh, do you see that as a source of, uh, a unifying source of uh, um, uh, political impetus? Well, if, if I could just jump in there for a second. I mean, I find that, that race to be very fascinating. And wow, is that long and drawn out. I mean, for a while it seemed that Laschet was up but for the last couple of months, he seems to be really kind of like draining support. If you look at the uh, popularity rankings, you know, it shows that. Merits is doing slightly better. But what I think is really interesting, and maybe something that we want to kind of ponder a little bit. So if, if you'll recall, the last time they had a leadership race, it was a competition between um, Karambawa, um, uh, Merz, and Jens Spahn right, who I think a lot of people thought was kind of a joke candidate. That was a, a couple of years ago. But if you look at the, at the rankings now of the most respected politicians, Spahn is third and actually more popular than Olaf Scholz currently. So this time around, Spahn had, had decided very early on that he wasn't going to run and he's supporting Laschet. But I wonder if that could change. And I wonder if that is maybe the kind of solution that the um, that the CDU kind of needs, um, you know, somebody with ministerial experience, somebody who's younger, but somebody who hasn't, you know, had the challenges like Laschet has as um, a minister president of North Rhine-Westphalia. So I don't know. Um, any thoughts on that, Julian? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, two things. The first thing um, 
that Jeff mentioned, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, uh, the Social Democrats at this point really try to benefit from the Merkel effect, even shows she's no longer on the scene, meaning that they try to portray Olaf Scholz as the person who is reliable, who the people know, you know, they haven't made any bad experience. So why, don't, why, why should you take chances if, you know, the candidate who can basically just prolong Merkel's reign is already out there? I think so this Schultz is could be the kind of experimenter candidate this time. Yeah, around. exactly. Absolutely. <laughs> that is exactly what they're going for. Absolutely. Uh, and the second that Eric mentioned is, I mean, Spahn is polling so high because he's the current minister of health. Mm-hmm. So he's currently in the news um, and somewhat having, you know, he had some blunders with the initial response. But after all, Germany has done a fairly good job when it comes to a low mortality rate, when it comes to, you know, um, trying to prevent a second wave uh, from coming. But also, obviously, I mean, we are, we are moving into the fall where most likely there will be a second wave and it's going to be dependent on how big that is. So there are a lot of things could go wrong. When it comes to the internal politics of the Conservative Party, uh, I think looking at approval ratings might not be the right way to look at the entire situation. It's rather important to know which backing of which Landesverband, so which regional organization in the party they have. And therefore, I would still see Armin Laschet actually being um, in a pole position because he's just um, being, you know, the leader and represent the biggest Landesverband, the biggest partial organization of the of the Conservative Party with North Rhine-Westphalia. Um, Mats is an outlier. Uh, he always has been uh, and uh, now is even more so given... Um, the re-rise of the political establishment that we started the conversation with. So he would basically be the candidate to use, uh, borrow your line, Jeff. He would be the let's try something new um, candidate, even within the Conservative Party. And I just don't see current times being the right circumstances um, to, you know, um, go to the German public and ask for um, a new face in politics. Uh, because as we said, um, you know, the, the bureaucracy or the political establishment has actually proven to be rather beneficial for a government response um, in times of COVID-19. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and then the, the difficult uh, thing in particular, um, I, I could imagine if you, had a, if you had a deeply divided CDU and you had a, a narrow margin of victory for whoever takes the uh, chairmanship, um, I could see how that might um, inject a bit of oxygen into this discussion that maybe Marcus Zuder should be the candidate instead of the CDU chairman. And you kind of see some people already floating this idea that, well, maybe we should make Jan Spahn the chairman of the party, and maybe then um, we have Marcus Zuder as the chancellor candidate. You know, sort of a transitional solution um, that doesn't conform to the normal patterns, um, uh, but, uh, but that would be tailored to these unique circumstances. Uh, it doesn't seem that any of the uh, people who really have uh, the last word in the party feel that way, but you see this you know, percolating up uh, in various uh, speculative uh, uh, and usually non-attributable comments uh, in, in the German press. I think the, the one thing that I would say about Marco Söder, though, is it would be an extremely dangerous gambit for him to make that step to Berlin because... I mean, rem- remember what happened to Röttgen when he was, uh, you know, um, the, the running for uh, a certain position in Berlin. And then he said, well, if I don't run, I go back to North Rhine-Westphalia and, you know, just be... No, it was the other way around. It was when he doesn't become um, 
the minister uh, president, of North, minister president of North Rhine-Westphalia, he would go back to Berlin. That doesn't play well in German politics. So if Markus Söder says he wants to run for being chancellor and then says, if I lose, I'll just go back to Bavaria and you know, remain in my own kingdom. Um, I don't think that the Bavarian people would, would appreciate that. And given how long he has worked for becoming um, premier, like minister president of Bavaria, I think I don't really know whether he has the guts to really do this and try this because of the potential that he fails. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, um, yeah, Eric, go ahead. Well, I wanted to bring up one other kind of variable, and that is the alternative for Germany, the AFD. I mean, I think that uh, there was a lot of fear in the establishment for many years about the inexorable rise of the AFD not just getting nearly 13% in the 2017 Bundestag election, but now being in every single state parliament. And in some cases, especially in Eastern Germany, in recent elections, scoring 20, 25, almost 30% um, of the vote. But, uh, you know, there was this whole narrative that, you know, the, the CDU had moved too far to the left, therefore they opened up their rightward flank and that created space for the AFD to, to kind of rise. And so, I think one of the justifications behind Merz's calls for the CDU to move back to the right was to kind of strangle the space that uh, the AFD was exploiting. But what we've seen since the pandemic started is that the mainstream parties have kind of surged in support. I mean, we, we didn't mention that the, uh, the CDU is up 36, 38% which is about 5%, 6% more than they scored in the last election. So, you know, that also reinforces this narrative about the, the, the rise or the return of mainstream parties. And the AFD seemed to be kind of struggling, right? They, they haven't been at 13% of the vote for a while. They're down in the 9 to 11% range and everything like that. So, like, my question would be, does that show that the, the attraction of the AFD is waning and therefore there's less justification for the CDU to kind of move to the right. So maybe they can still maintain a more centrist space. And then the other question that I have, especially for Julian, because, you know, he's, he's studied this quite a bit. You know, I, I really want to believe this narrative that populism just, you know, is no longer a popular or, or, or viable force in the midst of a pandemic and perhaps even an economic depression, certainly a a pretty severe recession. But I have to say I'm a little surprised that the AFD hasn't completely collapsed, right? Sure, they've taken a bit of a hit, but I would have thought that they would have been like below the 5% threshold in national polls, but they're just not. And I mean, in addition to everything else, I mean, the party is a mess internally and organizationally with more infighting than I can ever remember in um, a German party in recent decades, right? With various leaders attacking each other. There was this whole issue about kicking out Kalbitz um, from the party, which divided the leadership. So also given that, I would have expected them to take a bigger hit. So Julian, why do you think that, that they're still at 11% in recent polls? Well, I think Eric, you're posing an excellent question, and I've I've thought quite a bit about it because my you know initial approach towards all of this was always that you know populism rises if there's lost faith in the problem-solving capacity of of government institutions, and whenever there is an opportunity for the government or the establishment to basically regain that trust, um, populist parties 
are decreasing uh, in their support, which is what we see to some extent. I also think, however, that we have to realize that the discontent of parts of the population is so large that even in a pandemic or even a world in disarray does not bring them back to believing in mainstream politics. Um, I mean, if I might say so, we, we see that in the United States, uh, even to the extreme that, you know, this 40 or 35 percent of, of Trump supporters, they stick with him no matter what. So maybe those 10 percent that you mentioned, they stick with the IFD no matter what. It can't, the world can, you know, fall or become, get upside down and it doesn't matter. I mean, to, to a lesser extent of what we have seen in the United States where wearing a mask even becomes a political debate. Uh, there has also been prote protests in Germany in large cities where people protested against government politics of, you know, the lockdown or there are those crude, um, uh, you know, uh, theories that Bill Gates is behind this uh, pandemic. So, I mean, th those people, to, to my knowledge, are so far off that it's really, really hard to regain their trust if you are uh, the Merkel government or even some other mainstream party. So maybe today's politics indicates that um, there is such a big discontent in Western democracies and varying obviously from, from country to country, but that's just a part of the population that is very, very hard to reach uh, with conventional messages, particularly given the opportunity of those uh, populist parties to appeal through their own filter bubbles. I mean, they, whether it is through Facebook or whether through their own media outlets, they still have access to those people. And once you buy in to uh, conspiracy theories, it's very, very hard to get yourself out of that. And maybe the 10% that you're mentioning uh, are just um, the ones that's sticking to the IFD no matter what. So I guess the Germans should be should feel a little happy that only 10% or so of the population is in that situation as opposed to about a third in other countries? I think you're absolutely right. I think this is the very essence of what we discussed um, the last time during our talk is that um, some of the negative externalities of whether it was free trade or globalization or um, a new market economy with automation in Germany has been less significant than in other countries where um, the, the magnitude of disruption and the following or consequent um, discontent of the population has been much uh, larger um, than it is than it is in Germany um, with a, with a, with an economy being integrated into the global system almost like no other. I don't know I think that's really interesting. And one of my takeaways or conclusions, because I, I know we're starting to run out of time, is that so if if the AFD is going to get ten percent of the vote. 9%, 11%, but it, let's say they get 10% of the vote and nothing is going to dissuade those voters from supporting the AFD, then what's the point of trying to compete for their votes, right? So for me, if I were a CDU uh, member, I would, I would support a more centrist, a more Merkelian course, because, you know, moving to the right is not going to reattract these voters, whatever you do. So I don't know, it's, it's, it's kind of, it's fascinating. Absolutely. Before, sorry, Eric, but before we close, we also, one um, very interesting aspect that we haven't really touched upon is the influence of the Green Party. Jeff, in your opening statement, you mentioned that there is the option that the social democratic leadership is actively pursuing of trying to create a left-wing government that would include the Linke as well as the Greens. However, what we have seen in recent years is actually a 
closer or getting closer relationship between the Greens and the Conservative Party. So it will be rather hard for the Social Democrats to actually make the case of why the Greens should try to pursue a left-wing oriented government instead of just joining um, a, a, a government with the Conservative Party. I think the only way, and this is then rather tragic for Olaf Scholz, would be if the Greens actually have the chance to sit or to, to occupy the chancellery, which would mean that the SPD, which you know has been one of the grand parties ever since the foundation of Germany, would become a junior partner for a green-red-red coalition. So this is, at least in my opinion, actually one of the scenarios that I could see playing out, that the Greens use their position of basically being ideologically flexible and could potentially go into a coalition with the Conservative Party, but then use that as leverage over the Social Democrats um, to say, you know, we want to... Uh, you know, have the chancellery and you maybe can have the foreign ministry or whatever other ministry you want, but we're going to leverage our position in order to, to you really play power politics. So other than in other elections in the past, the SPD really is out there for itself this time around and really needs to score as high as possible in order to have a big uh, bargaining position for the upcoming uh, election um, next year in order not to get crushed uh, in a fight that um, social Democrats have no place in anymore. It, but, you it, know, would certainly, it would certainly be a bitter irony if, um, if the Social Democratic Party, through its, its new um, and, and bold and risky initiative, um, brought about a left-wing government in Germany that it did not lead. Um, and, uh, you know, but I think there's also, it, 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 there has been this narrative for, for years of SPD decline. Um, and it's, you know, incontrovertible that their uh, public support has, has decreased dramatically. But if you look at uh, the way that the party has actually managed this decline, it has done so rather skillfully. You know, uh, the Social Democratic Party um, controls seven uh, of, of Germany's uh, 16 states. The CDU controls seven of Germany's 16 states. Uh, so you have seven SPD minister, ministers president or governing mayors or whatever, um, <clears throat> uh, despite this drop off in support. Now, the SPD may, may, be, may be reaching the limits of that kind of tactical management of a decreased vote share uh, while still remaining, you know, maintaining its, its uh, option, its, its ability to govern. And, uh, and so what we may see in 2021 is is whether that boundary has been reached and exceeded, uh, or whether they can pull a rabbit uh, out of uh, out of the hat um, uh, one more time. And even though they're um, you know at levels that uh, that would make uh, probably Helmut Schmidt and Willy Brandt uh, and others uh, turn over in their graves, um, that they may be able uh, indeed to uh, uh, to continue uh, to remain a defining national uh, political force. But if we can go back to the Greens for a second, um, I think the scenario that, that Julian laid out is really kind of fascinating, but that's of course contingent on the Greens actually coming through and getting the actual votes that they've been polling at. I mean, this is not the first time that the Greens have spiked, kind of like midterm, halfway between Bundestag elections. I think that it was back in 2011 that that was also the case. So I don't know. I'm I'm a little skeptical that they're going to be actually they're going to actually get those votes come election day. Um, so I don't know. We'll see. 
the other mm -hmm. thing too is that you know, uh, I mean, uh, what was the famous phrase? Das Herz schlägt links, right? So I think that uh, that really is is like the Greens are a leftist party, right? And they they can be a little Machiavellian and they can move towards the conservatives here and there. But like when when all is said and done, I would think that especially Green Party members would vastly prefer a leftist coalition than anything with the kind of CDU. So. I don't know. It, Absol it, it, absolutely. No, and I, I mean, Jeff, I, I really like the point that you kind of, the way you talked about um, the decline of, of, of the Social Democratic Party in that regard, because I think what it ultimately shows is that there is still a battle to be fought over the future of the Social Democratic Party, which has exemplified itself with basically um, Saskia Eskin and Norbert Walter-Borians being the anti-Merkel, uh, anti-Schröder legacy uh, and, and kind of coming to terms with the past that the social democrats are not proud of, and now reverting back to that very sentiment with Olaf Scholz actually being uh, secretary of the party under Schröder and uh, had a, a substantial part in the Agenda 2010 uh, policies and the hard sphere um, policy. So it's, it's still an open debate with parts of the party wanting to come to terms with it and leave the past behind, while other parts actually embrace the reforms that have been taken into um, account and, and, and into policy and, and embrace that model of, of a third way social democracy. And what will be very, very important, and that speaks to the point that Eric mentioned, also bringing the, the Greens into the picture, with so many different, you know, uh, different ideologies moving forward as well in the conservative, as well as in the social democratic party and in the Greens, I think what will be uh, matter a lot is personality in 2021. The SPD has done that in order to, you know, present a party that the people can trust. Robert Habeck, the frontrunner of the Greens, um, is, 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 is very well regarded in Germany as well. And it will be interesting to see who the Conservatives put, put forward uh, for the Chancellery and um, then leave it up to the German people to decide who they want to see as their next leader. Well, I, you know, I couldn't agree more with, uh, with the, the, the sentiment uh, Eric started us off with, and that is, that German politics is uh, is be, is becoming really interesting again, and I think not just for those of us who who uh, uh, you know have a have a professional and lifelong interest in it, but I think uh, in any uh, even for uh, you know for a broader uh, set of uh, of people following uh, what's happening in Europe, how it relates to the United States, and what it means more generally for how um, you know developed democracies grapple with the challenges. Of, uh, of today and, and the future. So we will have plenty to keep talking about uh, as, uh, as we move toward the end of the year and the CDU choosing a new leadership. And then as, uh, as political uh, battle and uh, competition heats up, um, there will be uh, lots more for us to talk about. Thank you to Julian Müller-Kaller for being our guest um, uh, for a second time uh, on the Zeitgeist. Uh, thanks to Eric for, uh, uh, as always, being with us when we talk uh, German politics. And thanks to you for joining us. Thanks for listening to The Zeitgeist, a podcast produced by the American Institute for Contemporary German Studies at Johns Hopkins University. Send us your feedback by email to info at AICGS.org or catch us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at AICGS. Don't forget to check out AICGS.org for more information from today's episode. Auf Wiederhören.